You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Today, my guest is Rebecca Hirota. She is a wonderful actress who has been in my life since we were thrown together as roommates one summer while we were at the Guthrie Theater. We're currently in a show together, which is so much fun, and I'm very happy to be in the presence of her positive energy every day and to have her share her perspective here on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the 15th episode of The Compass. Um, I'm just going to dive in. What is the dark side for you as an artist, and how do you try to keep away from it? I was thinking about this question because I know this is how you start. Um, and I think it's about doubt and comparison. And that is in the process and outside of the process. Because there's this thing that you talked about with Phil about the imposter syndrome, which you mm-hmm. definitely get when you're lucky enough to be working on something. And I always have it where all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I, I start doubting everything that's doing. And, you know, and honestly, the best of times it works out and things come together and it feels really, really great. But sometimes it never goes away. Mm. And, uh, and in that doubt, I start looking around at the, at the people who are also in the room and, um, go oh my god well they know what they're doing they know what they're doing they're doing such great work but I realize that that everybody everywhere is probably thinking the same thing and this magical thing that we all think that we have uh that someone else has figured out they haven't we are just all sitting there sitting the same thing and faking the same fake but it's not just comparison within the project um it's also outside as well because when you are going through a time in between work, you, I have a group of friends who I grew up with, um, a bunch of girlfriends who I went to school with, and we're still very close. And when we all hit 30, they started getting married, which was late, but still hitting the usual marks. And mm-hmm. we all went to, and it's interesting because we've all followed a similar trajectory in a lot of ways. We went to school, we all graduated uh, from grad school, like went to grad school or law school or medical school and then left around the same time. I think there was maybe four of us in the same year in 2009 who were coming out of school. And when I'm going through really bad times in between work, I stop and make that horrible thing of looking at their Mm -hmm. lives and like all these different things that they're hitting and milestones and being able to do which make me realize and or feel like I'm not a real adult because uh, yeah. <laughs> they have you know they've besides being married they also are buying houses and having children and and I am still you know trying to make ends meet from yeah month to month and week to week and day to day um and that's that's the the real dark side for me is just doubt about myself both in and out of the process and the choices that I've made and also and the and the comparison of both in to the people who are around me who are doing the thing and also the people who are my peers who are living the life 
Um, but what I try to think about in terms of not going there is that it's all about ideas of, about where you should be, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's hard to realize, though, when you have a whole culture telling you it that, is. Oh, this is the path. It is, and I, 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 okay, I think the only reason why I've recently been able to go beyond that is I was, I went through something about two years ago where I, I guess it started three years ago, where I had a really good time in my life where I met someone and we fell in love and I thought we were going to get married and uh, at the same time I was doing this show and it was like one of my my favorite things that I've ever done artistically and, and then that person and like the people from the show and everything kind of just coalesced into a really a great little friends group that came out of that that became my family uh-huh. and this was all going really well and then a year later it all fell to shit uh, and I had it was in a point which was actually one of the better points in my career like I had gotten a pretty uh I was a lead in a show at the Denver Center which is a pretty good theater and I came back and uh I was getting a lot of auditions like my agent with the time was sending me out for a lot and I just didn't care because uh things were falling apart in my relationship and everything was going kind of dark and I was questioning everything and I was and where I was in life because I was 31 and then all of a sudden it seemed like I was like, I don't know what I'm doing because I'm getting all these auditions, but I still feel like I'm in the same place because I was getting going in for a lot of TV, but it was also nameless uh, multiracial secretary. And I was mm-hmm. like, why did I go to grad school to come in and do and be in these same places where I would see, you know, friends of mine who went to ACT and Juilliard at these same things and where like one of them is multi-ethnic Hispanic and the other one is half black and we're all doing the same thing to be walking into a room to, to have token, to then have person of color yes to then have a casting director say i don't believe you to my line of i'm sir do you have an appointment he's like i don't believe you and i go what what how do you want me <laughs> to say that um and i you know i was questioning everything and it was in this really dark time and I was looking at all the people around me and I started going crazy and I was like, maybe I should be a lawyer and just make all the money. And uh, all my friends who were lawyers were like, don't do it, don't do it. It's, <laughs> it steals your soul. Um, and then in this last year, I, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of soul searching and I, I met someone new. And it's actually been through him and, like, and life that I begin to realize that it doesn't have to look the way that you thought it was supposed to look. And even for the people who follow the typical path, it doesn't look that way for them. Because for him, he travels the world. He just spent four months in Antarctica because Mm -hmm. he could. And then because of him being in Antarctica, we went and... uh, went away to New Zealand for a month and went all throughout the South and the North Island. And then he went on to Australia and Cambodia and I came back and started the show. And, you know, like two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to leave New York because I would have been afraid I'd miss an audition or, mm-hmm. or because I uh, was, was afraid of leaving work. And if you say yes to things, you don't know, like life may not be the prototypical of what you thought it was, but 
my friends who are married and have children, when I told them what I was doing, they were like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I'm just stuck at home with the baby. <laughs> and the baby is beautiful and wonderful. And I love the baby. But uh, at the same time, um, I'm not jumping off a bridge in Queenstown. Um, <laughs> with a, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. So I guess that's what it is, is to stop comparing and just... And just try to enjoy the moment that you're in and that life can be an adventure no matter what you're doing as long as you feel like it's what you're supposed to be doing. And these are things I would like to believe. Uh, that you remind yourself of often. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what we try to believe. Yeah. That's interesting that you go first to comparing yourself with friends who aren't in the business. I guess I do that too, but I feel like I usually when I'm going to the dark side, go first to comparing myself with people who are in the business. Yeah. Um, I, I, it depends on the day and the year. Mm. Um, I, I, as you will know, I am now in my thirties and they're, they're turned a corner when, um, clocks started ticking internally and, um, it didn't just become about the career. Cause I think for the first three years out of grad school, I was looking a lot around at the people who were my peers and the ones who were racing forward and the ones that are falling behind and the ones who just gave up. And then when I crossed into my thirties, it started going a little bit more global than just the myopic about being in the business. Cause yeah. I, I, there's there's going forward and there's back. There's moments where I realize that I make these compromises with myself and I know that I always am going to need to create things, but I think I kind of am okay with doing it with friends, with working with companies, with even like doing community theater. Like at home, I'm from Hawaii and a lot of, there's a few people who were on Broadway uh, in a few shows and were in New York for a number of years and then moved back home to procreate, as so many people do. <laughs> and uh, now are just happy being making local community theater the best theater that anybody has ever seen because it's populated by a bunch of former Broadway actors. Mm. You know, my brother-in-law, who went to University of Michigan, is extremely talented. You know, I think he was in the same class as Matthew Morrison, Oh. Um, and all of his peers and Celia Bulger Keenan, I think her name is Keenan Bulger. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like all of his classmates are now, you know, they're everywhere, but he chose to, and he right after getting out of school, got like a national tour as Tony, um, and still has one of the best tenor voices I've ever heard, but it just, it wasn't what he wanted. He wanted, he didn't like the business. He didn't like New York. So he wanted to settle down and he and my sister now have three beautiful children. And he thinks about going and doing for fun, you know, community theater in Hawaii. So that's my long-winded story of why I, I stopped comparing because you, you make this compromise with yourself that it's okay to just have it in your life. And that's okay for that moment. And then you start think, worrying about other things. Um, that's interesting that you have that example right in your family. Yeah, he and my sister. Yeah. They uh they met doing Miss Saigon when she was his dirty dirty little whore. Um, <laughs> I yeah. hope she listens to this. I hope so too and she knows she was. <laughs> uh she looked So your yeah. family um has a bunch of artists in it, right? Yes. Or artistic uh, members of your family. Yes. 
Uh, what has that been like for you? Were you a performer when you were a kid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> started early? Uh, it started, it began that early, this affliction, uh, <laughs> and it's never let go of me since. Um, yeah, my mom was a ballet dancer because in the South in the 50s, there wasn't any, nobody was really pushing her, and she was very smart, um, still is very smart. Mom, you're very smart. Um, she skipped a grade and still graduated at 16. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but she went to dance because in the 50s in Louisiana, the only thing they saw smart girls doing was either being a teacher or a librarian, and she wanted to do more. She wanted to go to college, and she ended up going and getting into dance and going to the National Ballet School because it was the only place where people pushed her to do more. You know, like in school, they didn't, she got bored because they didn't mm. really push her because no one expected anything of women scholastically because uh, there was no jobs for them. But she danced because it was, it was challenging and people wanted her to do better. That being said, the hard part about in my family is that it is populated with artists and they are very supportive of, supportive of me. Um, but they also are all people who did art and then gave it up so right. and chose a different path yeah. at some point yeah so it's been it's been an interesting journey in that regard because they were always support me they're incredibly supportive but they all left and I think they never say it but I think they're worried that about me and what I'm doing and that's cool because I'm worried about me and what I'm doing mm -hmm. but and I have no idea that's why we're here right <laughs> what yeah. about your dad uh my dad is an architect and mm. so he is the practical side of art I always loved architecture because it's kind of I think where the world of regular people and artists meet because it's a practical application of an artistic eye and so he's always had he is an architect but he's also always dabbled in photography on his own. Um, we call him the paparazzi. We, my, <laughs> my, my nephews and my niece call him Papa. So my mom is Nana and he's Papa. And we call him the paparazzi because he follows <laughs> us around with a camera. Uh, and they, you know, he loves music. He and I, as my graduation present from high school, took father-daughter drum lessons together. Oh and he goodness. was much better than I was. That's adorable. <laughs> um... <laughs> but so they're just, you know, I have an artsy fartsy family, but they, they do normal things now. Like my brother-in-law, who has such a beautiful voice, um, he's a sommelier and my sister who was on, she was on one life to live for really? half a year. Yeah. She oh. was a recurring character. She was the bulimic hyperachiever. Um, who then got hit by a co who got murdered by one of the actresses, uh, not in real life on the show. Obviously, yeah, because yes. uh, she's very much alive. Sorry, sister. And uh, now she's a nurse. So wow. I don't know. I don't know. I um, I know that this is something mm. that you have thought about, and I've I've thought about too. Is the when the dark days are coming, and when you still when you kind of begin to want more stability and like more and especially like financial and mm -hmm. it would be nice to not have money like always on the mind it's uh 
It's the so hard, stressful. Yeah, but the hardest thing is I have been racking my mind now for in these two years since things happened, like the disaster struck, to try and figure out something else I could do and what I would do, and I can't. And that's the hardest part. Yeah. It's not... If it was obvious... Then I would. It'd make it a lot easier. Or even... And I'm also trying to figure out, like, even just something else I could do as a day job that would be slightly more lucrative and but it's it's really incredibly hard because I don't have a lot of these skills that would make it lucrative like mm-hmm. I computer programming exactly that was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say I, I feel know. like Zoolander I'm like the files are in the computer and no I just I have no <laughs> idea it's this magical box that does things but I don't know and that's the hard part is I don't want to if I did leave, it would I would want to do something else that I would pursue as a career. And although being an executive assistant or something and having that stability does sound really, really appealing, it's not enough right now to to do the crossover. It might be if I, um, you know, like if I was married and had kids and I was doing it just to support them. But since it's it's me still in the world and I have the luxury of not having to like contemplate too much besides making sure that I'm not going to end up being a financial burden on my own family I have all the options in the world and that means I have no idea can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing for your day job now right now I'm lucky enough to have a day job that is is pretty is pretty wonderful I work for a wellness company and I do personal training and uh, some consulting and a little bit nutrition, sometimes yoga. And I work with people who are interested in alternative health care because it's, it's an office that does massage and chiropractic and nutrition and, and are looking to take care of your bodies in the moment to prevent things happening in the future because that's a lot of what it is, is, mm. oh, take care of it now. And then you don't have to worry about having a heart attack later because a lot of the diseases that are prevalent in America are completely avoidable just by making lifestyle changes for the most part. Not easy, but avoidable. Um, And it's, it's very rewarding work because I've had a number of patients who've come in who've been in a lot of pain. And I've had a couple of, uh, of people I've worked with who have been in their seventies. And I had one guy who came, I think he came from Groupon or something and was, was just, bought a couple of sessions and we got him from not being able to get off the ground and um, barely able to to stand up to being able to do push-ups and planking for like three minutes and and it took time and all of my knowledge resources Um, but it it was it can be extremely rewarding and I should say the reason why I have this job is actually because of you (laughs) I think this is such a funny, funny uh, connection. <laughs> um, we, I w- I'm going to tell this story and I'll make it as brief as possible. But I needed <laughs> I needed a gym membership after I graduated from grad school. And I was talking to you and you said, oh, I'm doing outreach at Equinox. And I said, cool. And I walked in and I asked if I could do outreach. And the guy at the front desk said, you should fill out an application. So I said, OK, whatever. So I get a call on the telephone and the person says, hi, is this Rebecca? And I said, yeah. And, and she said, is this Rebecca Hirota, Jessica Hirota's sister? And I said, yeah. 
And it turns out... Oh, I forgot about this part. Yeah, it turns <laughs> out it was um, a, a woman named Stacy. She was the assistant general manager at Equinox. And she was the older sister and the only sister I hadn't met from a family that I had grown up doing theater with in Hawaii. And I was very good friends with her younger sister, Candice. And her father was the musical director of one of the first major... Uh, major musicals I did as a kid and I'd known I'd met her like her entire family her younger sister and her older sister who both lived in Hawaii both her parents I'd worked with them for years I had met her like aunts and uncles I had slept in her house (laughs) but I'd never met her because by the time I met her family she had already moved to New York to pursue dancing Uh, but she knew my older sister from growing up doing dance in Hawaii so she pulled me in and so I started working at Equinox's uh, first front desk and then as a trainer and then she left and went to this wellness company and then she pulled me in there as well. Oh so the reason why I do what I do now and have this weird skill set is because of you. Because I went on Craigslist and was so cheap that I was willing to pass out flyers three hours a week to get a free gym membership. Yeah, but it's really great. That it's a really nice gym, It guys. is a really nice gym. I only did it for like, I don't know how long. Maybe I made it a year. But it was soul crushing. It was incredibly soul crushing. Passing out flyers on the street in New York is desperate. You have to. I will say sometimes I went to Starbucks and threw them out and sat there for a while and then came back. But shh, don't tell anybody. Oh my God, that's brilliant. Don't don't tell Equinox. Do you have to, do you have to show them that you had gotten rid of all of your flyers? I I mean, I think you just had to go out for a certain amount of time. Oh my God, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. But it was, you know, broke right out of grad school. I had a membership to a really nice gym. It was a really nice gym. And he, there you are now at that <laughs> wellness center. And she still works there too? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They take good funny, care of us. Place. I know. Really well, that's, funny. I mean, what I love about what you do is you are a dancer and a mover and like such a physical person and a mm. physical actor. I'm sure as frustrating it is, as it is to you know, do any, any job that isn't what you want to be doing for money. Um, do you find some kind of outlet in being so physical, like having that built into your life in a way that you don't have to think about it too much? That is in the better moments. Yes. Which is to say, yes, it's great for a couple of reasons. It's great for a multitude of reasons. One, it's really nice to have a day job that helps people and feels like you're actually doing something positive. It's great because a big part about our profession is, for better or for worse, about your physicality. Mm-hmm. And you and I are both physical actors as well, and so it helps just having that as a resource and also having that knowledge because now I know how to properly take care of myself and I have, I have the ability to do so. Um, it also is great in an odd way because I... I have a lot of clients from all over the place and it's just so rewarding as an artist and as a human being to interact with so many different types of people and, and training can get intimate. I've had a lot of people break down and a lot of people cry and like things work out, but kind of like a hairdresser or something where you're kind of half therapist. Oh God. I had trainer. (laughs) I had yoga. I had, when I was doing more yoga and this is why I had to stop, I had people who, you know, a lot of it is like you can't really go into uh, a session, particularly when it's one-on-one, if you're bringing a lot of your stuff in. So sometimes I'd sit and we would do like, I'm air quoting, guided meditations, which would basically be us talking and like trying to work through what was going on. And I had to eventually stop doing yoga because I had a patient 
patient, a practice member come in who just laid down on the yoga mat and then started talking about his father. And I was like, okay, uh, this is, this is, (laughs) this is becoming something else. Yes. Uh, and, but the nice thing about it is that I have, we worked with Trader Joe's for a little while. So I had a lot of like young artists and comedians and Mm. actors and, and dancers, but I also, we also work with uh, corporate companies as well. So I have a lot of Harvard business grad and like, you know, some people who are both like I have one client who is one of four boys and the mother is a music teacher and the father is a scientist and the two older boys are uh, both have PhDs and uh, he is he's working as a consultant with his PhD, but the two younger brothers are both actors Hmm. Uh, and the the second to youngest brother is also a musician who writes music books with the mother. So it's it's been great just talking to so many people and like getting so many different perspectives and yeah, it's really informative. Um, so that's really helpful and I don't have to work in restaurants, which kills my soul. So since we're right after we're recording this, we're going to do a show together. Oh my God. I, I know I've been finding it so rewarding just to go to a play every night. It's like, Oh, this is how I want my life to be structured that the whole day is building up to this thing. Mm-hmm. And then you get to ride this wave with what I love about the towers that it's this great ensemble of people and it, it never really stops. You just keep going and going and going and then the play's over. <laughs> it just happens. Um, but I know a lot of the shows you and I have both worked on in New York are these, these things where you're working with your peers, mm-hmm. which is great. A lot of like wonderful artists that you respect, but mm-hmm. it's these, Actors' Equity Showcase Codes, where it's short. Right. You know, what is it? That, like 16 performances or something like that that you're allowed under the showcase code. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with going through those, like, ups and downs of, like, oh, my God, I get to do what I want to do for the next two and a half weeks, <laughs> and then it's over? Um, badly. Or what, uh, <laughs> I mean, right now we're still pretty towards the beginning, so yeah. I know I'm on such a high about it right now. But yeah. I mean... It, Oh, God. I think you enjoy it while you're in it. And the answer is badly. I deal with it badly because there's always that lull after you're done where you're creatively not being satiated. And then all of a sudden, one day you're being cranky to your partner and you go, oh, no, it's not about that. I'm just not I'm just not having any other outlet for all of my stuff so now it's coming out on you right now so sorry honey um do you have you found any like patterns in the way you deal with that slope downward after coming out of a show the answer is badly I have nothing profound to say about that uh I just slope (laughs) I slope out I in my better moments I look forward to the next thing and there's always a little bit of relief because these projects that we do, the showcase codes are out of love and we are still working our regular day jobs that we do it. So mm-hmm. there's a little it's bit tiring. of of a couple of days where you are thankful afterwards because you can actually only work one full-time job as opposed to two. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you get sad because there's the process is over and even if it's not an ideal process or even a show that you love, at least you're getting to do the thing that really fulfills you and really feeds a part of your soul. And then I think at the best moment you do what you're doing, which is right now, which is finding your other creative outlets and start making plans for the next thing. Um, I was going to ask if you've been doing much like choreography or 
stuff on other creative outlets on the side when you're not acting? I get asked to do things. Um, I, I normally only work when people ask me specifically to do it for a show, and it's usually the show that I'm working on because it's not an outlet that I've pursued in and of myself, and I very much enjoy it, but um, I, I don't, I'm not looking to choreograph so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, I think that that's one of the things that I admire most about other artists is diversifying, and I think it's very necessary in the way in this world in which sometimes people in LA ask you how many Twitter followers you have before you even read your sides. Um, but it's, I mean, I, I know that's the advice and it's something that I'm interested in when I've been learning from all my peers during this podcast, but it's also, it's not easy. It's not easy for me. And sometimes you're like, I trained to be an actor and I want to be an actor. Yeah. And that's what I, want to pursue yeah so it's not always not everyone is a writer not everyone feels that calling too you know I feel like that's okay like I love that you are having a you are doing something with your creativity like you're doing this podcast people get to hear your wonderful voice and hopefully we'll give you a show on the radio uh (laughs) which pays you all the money but I I think that it's okay to be an actor um I love being as you can probably tell, I'm obnoxious about all the things that I want to say, and I am very vocal about ideas that I have in a process, and I am more of a collaborative artist. And I've been asked by some people to do choreography and to AD things, and mm. that is something I'm interested in pursuing as well. But I don't think it's bad to just love what you do. Not everybody has to do everything, and that's okay, because when you do find the thing that you're good at, it feels easy, it feels good. Like mm-hmm. this is for you. So, cause my, my processes of things that I do to unwind are not artistic at all. They are the, the very, very common comfort things that you do. I like sitting on the couch with my man friend and <laughs> drinking good wine and watching a, a Netflix, Netflix binge. Um, mm-hmm. And that is it. And it's not creative at all, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and like, yeah, traveling, yeah, eating, eating a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went to school for acting, like you did, mm-hmm. and I am an actor, and I—that's what I want to do. And I think there is a lot of guilt I feel and like pressure I put on myself to do other things. And I know there are things that I can do, and I'm good at. Like I'm a really good mover, and I'm really good with ideas, and I make a really good collaborator, and probably a really good AD. And that is something I, I think I should pursue. But I also feel like you don't have to do everything. You will find the things that you're supposed to do. Like this podcast for you is a way to be creative and to find an outlet that feels good and that you're doing. And that that is what you're supposed to do. And that it'll come as long as you have a hunger and you keep pursuing it. But that doesn't mean that you have to make a movie or write a script or be your own producer. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting line to walk between like wanting to be ambitious and to do everything you possibly can to mm-hmm. achieve what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And then also just like letting yourself off the hook sometimes. And then you never know the the right things come out of 
what you're pursuing that actually is the thing that you want to pursue and not just the thing that you feel like you should be. Mm. You know, um, you made this podcast. I have a friend who was in a place where she didn't know what she was doing with her acting career. And so she just started generating ideas and wrote a really beautiful script. Um, and, uh, another, you never know where things can lead. Do you just have to sort of follow them when they get there? And, that means that a person, another for friend who was a pianist and hurt her fingers, so she became a singer. Mm. She got into musical theater and then became an actor and now is a producer and a f- short film director. And I think the trajectory of that is that she has an artistic life and soul huh. and just keeps on moving forward. But that means when she went to the next thing, it was because she was done with what she was doing or she couldn't do what she was doing in that moment. How are you feeling about New York City these days? Do you ever think about living somewhere else? I don't know where else I would live. I'm just curious. You also, you come from such a specific place that I have never been to and that I feel like a lot of America has these like fantasies about. Like Hawaii is this like dreamland that... It's all true. All the TV, <laughs> all the TV shows have a special where they the family, the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii or something. Um, first of all, <laughs> I'm going to speak for the Hirotas who would be glad to have you and Frankie. So wow. you should go Careful. and visit That's, and you should come. Might happen. <laughs> and you will have to play with a bunch of little people and Which they will you know rule your world. And they're awesome. Um, but yes, Hawaii is. So whenever I tell people I'm from Hawaii, they always ask me, why did you leave? Right. And even if, I wasn't going to pursue acting, which I I did actually know that I wanted to do since I was a kid. I have wanted to leave Hawaii for a really long time because it's Shangri-La. And that's how I explain it, is that it is paradise. And it is when there is an energy there that is really calming and is really beautiful. And it is an extraordinary place. But it is a place for people who are quiet inside themselves. Mm. And... If you have anything inside you that needs to move, that needs to go, that like is hungry and needs to pursue, then you have to go because Shangri-La exists in its little bubble and you stay there. And you can't, if you are going to explode, you're going to burst that bubble. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I left Hawaii because I, I needed more. And that's what I love about New York. I love that there is so, so much going on and there's always something weird and funky and interesting to see and do. Like my, when we had the show on Saturday night, my, um, my man friends had a friend who is, he made down in Antarctica who came and they went to some opening night at the Brooklyn Museum that was uh, a carnival themed. And so they had like sideshows and contortionists <laughs> and there was like funky drinks and that's what I love about New York is that there's all these weird things that happen. And like you invited me to a downtown show where there was a great, um, there was a great puppet show and mm-hmm. like a couple of great bands and a guy with a banjo and there were, there were pole dancers. It's amazing. <laughs> like that doesn't really happen so much, um, in other places. So you're sticking around for a while. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And it's so it odd. Sounds like it. Well, it's odd because, like, it's too expensive here, and it's really hard to live, but it's also really hard to leave, and not just as an artist, just because 
it's so exciting and it's so mm. fun. And the energy is addicting. It is addictive. It's it's horrible and makes you crazy. There was a moment where I had my Seinfeld moment um, a few years ago because I had just been working. I'd been working in a bar and I got off and it was like two o'clock in the morning, and I went up the street and I was supposed to t- catch the crosstown bus, and it was at the corner, so I ran and the guy was starting to pull away. So I like jumped and I like jumped like half out in front of the bus in the street and the bus and the light turned right after that. So the light was red. He was at the corner. The bus driver just looked at me and glared and waited there as I like stood outside trying to beat on the door to get him to open up and let me in. And the light turned and he left. And Ah. it was, it was like, and by that point it was like three and I was like, (sighs) I was not having it. So I took off I ran down the street and I beat him to the next bus stop and I beat on the door until he opened it and I came marching inside and I said why did you leave you saw me there you didn't open up the door and he said you jumped in front of the bus what is wrong with you and I said who what's your number what's your medallion number I'm gonna call your boss he said you're fucking crazy you jumped in the bus and he said I'm gonna call your boss I'm gonna report you and then the lady on the bus said if you two both don't shut up I'm gonna call the police on both of you <laughs> so I sat down and I rode across the park and I got off at uh at second avenue where I was living at the time and I called my sister and I said Jess I think I finally lost it. <laughs> New York has broken me. And she said, no, you know, you just had your Seinfeld moment. Go take a yoga class, um, <laughs> drink some tea, have a cocktail. Uh, it'll look better tomorrow. Mm. Um, and yes, this city will drive you crazy, but I I love it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is there any, I know you mentioned a show earlier that I'm not sure which one you're talking about, but. Is there anything that you've worked on in the last couple of years or like a moment you had personally as an artist that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? I did a show a couple of years ago with the same company that we're working on, we're working with now, Antimatter. It was a post-apocalyptic robot play where I played a nanny bot and it sounds... (laughs) It sounds crazy, but, and I wasn't actually supposed, I wasn't originally cast in the part. I, uh, I went in for it, but I didn't, I didn't get it. And Adam, who is our friend and who did your tarot card reading, uh, wrote a part for me where I had one scene with my dear friend Casey and I played his, his partner. And then the girl who was playing the robot had to drop out because she had she had some health issues. And so I went into the part with like two and a half weeks before it opened. Uh, and it came together and it was a really odd moment where I was like racking my brain and trying to learn all this like weird, the half of the dialogue was just numbers and like dots and, and completely nonsensical. And there was a moment where I was in the process and I was looking at all these AI actors who played AI in movies like, um, Michael Fassbender in the Mm -hmm. alien sequel. And he talked about figuring out how to do the part based on the function of the robot. And it was something that keyed in. And I realized, oh, this is a nanny bot. And that was that. And working with Maureen Cialelli on a little bit of movement one day is what keyed me in. And I was, I was really proud of that physical work because I think that that showed me in that moment that I could carry a piece, that I could pull something off in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, really like what my strength was because it was it was I knew in that physical work that I was doing something pretty unique and special and that was one moment when I knew 
you know, we talked before about the dark side being the doubt that you also have within the process where I knew that I was doing good work and I felt it and I knew it and I knew what I was doing. It was still hard. Right. And that show kicked the crap out of me, but I, I knew what I was, I was doing. Yeah. And from that moment on forward, it took a, a sort of turn in my work. So a lot of grad school is breaking, breaking the actor down mm-hmm. and taking getting rid of your bad habits so that they can theoretically build you back up and that may or may not happen and I I think after I did that piece that's when I started to trust myself as an actor again and I've liked a lot of things that I've done since then but it was really that that moment because of so many hurdles that had to be crossed uh that I'm really proud of have you seen any shows recently that you want to give a recommendation for I haven't seen anything recently because I've been hanging out with you and I see you every day and you're <laughs> wonderful. Um, let's see. Unfortunately, the last couple of pieces that I've seen, I haven't been able to recommend. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so what she's saying is just come see the tower. <laughs> We're playing through December 19th at here Art Center. <laughs> The only thing I've seen lately, I saw a couple of short plays, which I didn't love. I saw Allegiance. It's, it was very important for me to see because it's, yeah. it's, it's about the Japanese Americans in the war. And like, that's where, um, you know, my, my grandparents were in Hawaii. And mm-hmm. the only reason they didn't intern the Japanese Americans in Hawaii was because uh, there was, it was such a huge portion of the population. It was like, would have like 60, shut down the economy. Yeah, it was like 60% of the population, like the economy would have shut down and there was no way, there's no way really to know, like it, they would have rebelled. You couldn't control when there's more of them than there is you, what could they right. have done? Um, and also, and also because people lost people because Pearl Harbor was there, it would right. have been an an insult injury that this major devastation just happened and then they put people into the camp so my family didn't get put into in camps so this is what I think about the peace allegiance uh I know people that are in it and I think that they're doing good work I think that the play has been is trying to do two things that are not working together it's trying to be accomplished too much in terms of the storytelling and it's also doing it in a in a me in a way in a field that is in a, a genre that's now a little bit hackneyed because the classic, the big classic musical, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense because it's set in the 40s and that's the guys, is less and less having a place in, in our particular like Broadway right now. Right. You know, I have a friend who's in Dames and C, which is your, your very typical like big tap musical. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably a fine production. But when you have things like Hamilton and you kind of have like the new generation of work right. it's that's kind of kind just of meant to be nostalgic at this point what was it like for you to see that particular story told on a broadway stage it was beautiful and moving and it was important because it's i think what makes in especially in the climate of what's going on politically right now mm-hmm. one of the last things that is a strength of america as opposed to a lot of our weaknesses, is that these horrible things that we did, we own and we point to. We don't... Silence. We don't silence it. So, you know, there's been massive genocides and atrocities that happen in other countries that they, they, 
don't even speak about, but we did this horrible thing and then make a Broadway musical about it mm. <laughs> because it's an important story to be told because it was uh, a horrible moment, of, a shameful moment in mm-hmm. our American history because a lot of these people were born in in America and they... and the story tells like so many things like they were basically forced to first they weren't allowed to enlist and then they were forced to enlist and they were basically put into uh into much like a lot of the african-american soldiers at the time they were put into battalions of all asian americans so uh there was a a battalion in world war ii called the 442nd and it was made up almost exclusively of japanese americans nope i think exclusively and they were sent to the front lines in Italy, and they were basically oh sent in to do suicide missions because they wanted to show that our boys had loyalty and like American strength. And I had an uncle who was in it, um, and they they did these impossible things, and entire battalions would be wiped did he out. Survive? He did. Oh my goodness. Uh, and you know the the senator who was one of the longest senators up until he passed a year or two ago, Senator Inouye had lost his arm in World War II and he was in the 442nd and he carried mm-hmm. a lot of clout because of that. But they, these, these guys who were in camps in California were given the choice that either you go into a military prison or you go into the 442nd and that was basically your choice. If I can give a quick recommendation, I saw I had a friend in from out of town mm-hmm. And he had an extra ticket to see Fiddler on the Roof yesterday. Oh. And obviously it's not about American history, but it really was strikingly timely mm-hmm. with everything that's going on with the Syrian refugees and mm. all of this crazy political rhetoric about Muslims. And um, one, it's a beautiful production, and I was going in expecting it to kind of be a little campy and nostalgic because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that show since high school, but it's a beautiful production, and at the end, when they're all loading up their carts and leaving their homes, they've basically been forced to leave just because of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it was completely current <laughs> and political. Um, it's very interesting. So if you get a chance to see it, I don't think it's open yet, but um, it's wonderful, and the choreography is amazing i love it yeah thank you very much for talking with me it's a pleasure thank you for having me let's go to a play okay Thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi. And a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 